Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that you are the one that we come to, O oh Lord, when we are in need. You are the one that deserves all the glory and all the praise. Lord, as we proclaim the word today, we just ask that it will be like water for those who are thirsty, like food for those who are hungry, like a garment of righteousness for those who feel unworthy, that you will simply speak to our need of you this day. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves and rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. How trustworthy are you? Can you be trusted? You know, trust is not something that is automatically given. It's something that is earned, right? The first time I cut the bushes, Around my house, my wife did not trust me. She was right not to trust me because I didn't do a very good job. But after two or three cuttings, I got better at it, and they actually look like bushes now. And now I am more trustworthy in that job. But if I was to tell my wife, honey, I'm going to climb on the roof and do some roof repair, she would go, no, I can't trust you with that. I don't believe that that's your gift, she would say kindly. You see, trust is always built over time. It's something that we earn. It's something that we develop. It's something that, that has to be grown, and, and it has to be experienced over time. We learn to trust others when we trust them a little bit, and they do good by us, and then we trust them a little more, and they do good by us, and we trust them a little more, and then we see that they're good, and they can be trustworthy. That's how good friends are made, isn't it? We find somebody who we think we can rely on in times of difficulty, that one person that will help you move at a moment's notice, that person that will come to you in the middle of the night because you're sick and you need a cup of soup, that person that will pray with you even though they're dead tired from work and you need prayer. A trust is something that is earned over time and something that, that we have to develop. The scripture today talks about trust, but it talks about trust to give us a small warning about trusting ourselves. It says, don't trust yourself too much. And you would think that that is kind of contradictory. Why would I not trust myself? 
If I can't trust myself, who can I trust, right? We consider ourselves trustworthy, and we definitely think that we can trust our abilities and gifts to be able to accomplish things. How do we know that? Well, we did it and it worked, right? So we can do it again and again and again. So why would this scripture tell us not to be overconfident and not to trust in ourselves? Because it says that trusting in ourselves too much can be dangerous. It can lead to overconfidence. And so I thought about this, and I thought about a surgeon doing a routine surgery that he's done a thousand times and getting to the point that he just takes it for granted and he's just going at it and he's gotten so good at this surgery that he just puts on music and runs his favorite TV show in a little panel on the side while he's doing his surgery. And before you know it, a tool goes missing and somebody's getting sued because he got overconfident and he wasn't paying attention. Or maybe it's a cook who's preparing a wonderful salad, and he's just chopping those vegetables, and he looks up just for long enough to miss the carrot and get his finger. That's how you get, end up with finger food, by the way. There's a danger in trusting ourselves there's a danger in trusting ourselves too much to the point that we become overconfident. And this danger is real because when we begin to trust ourselves to the point that we think we have it all figured out, the scripture says that then we begin to look at others with contempt because they don't have it figured out, but we do. And then pride begins to become a problem. Going back to that doctor, imagine he's doing that surgery and one of his nurses goes, doctor, doctor, I got to tell you something. And he goes, leave me alone. I know what I'm doing here. And all she was trying to do is say, hey, you left a tool inside. Or maybe the cook who had a friend right there that was saying, hey, 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 stop looking at me. Look down at your fingers while you cut. But we were too arrogant to listen because we've done this a million times and we've got it. You see, that overconfidence is a real problem. Jesus specifically tells this parable for people who trust in themselves and their own righteousness and who regard others with contempt. Now, before you think that that doesn't happen anymore, think about how many football teams went into Saturday's games thinking, we're highly ranked, we're just going to win this game. And then some underdog comes in and beats them. Why? They were too overconfident. And they looked at the other team with contempt. Oh, they'll never do it. And meanwhile, the other team has nothing to lose, so they play their heart out. And that's how an upset happens, right? So Jesus specifically tells this parable for those who are experiencing this. Jesus knew that there would be some folks that would get bit by the holier-than-thou bug and think that they were right there next to Jesus and almost walked on waters on Saturday and Sunday. And he knew that they needed to be reminded about the need to be humble when they came before God. So the parable given to us is extremely simple, 
but it has a lot of important details. Two men go up to the temple to pray. They're both going to do the same thing. They're both going to talk to God. But that is where the similarities end. That's the only thing that they really have in common. One is a Pharisee, a religious man, one of those people that practices, you know, all the rules and regulations established in the law. He, he says he tithes. He says he, he's not a habitual sinner like those people that, you know, are thieves and rogues and, and definitely not like this tax collector dude over here on the corner. By all estimation, this Pharisee seems like a straight-up trustworthy guy. He's doing all the right things, right? He's going through all the right motions, and he stands to pray his prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, like thieves, like rogues, like adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And then he goes through the list of all he does for God. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income, and he's almost sounding proud of his works as he shares them with God. We're told that the tax collector was also praying, but he didn't even approach. The scripture says that he stayed far off, indicating that he really didn't even feel worthy of being there. He really didn't even feel like he deserved to be up front. He's like, I'm just going to stay back here because my conversation is with God. I'm just telling him what's going on with me. And he comes to this prayer recognizing who he is. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he beat his breast in sign of repentance knowing that he had messed up and done things that were wrong. The tax collector knew he was a sinner. His posture indicated a great reverence for God who had every right to judge him for his wrong deeds. Yet he comes and acknowledges that God is the giver of mercy and the one who can redeem him from that sin. Well, after telling the parable, Jesus announces this man, the tax collector, went home justified rather than the other man. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. And that's where all of us are going, wait, 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 wait a second. The guy who didn't do anything but admit he was wrong, yeah, that one. The guy who didn't confess to giving money to the church, that's the one that was right, yes. The one that didn't come sharing that he fasted twice a week, that one, yes. The one that everybody hated because he was a tax collector collecting taxes for Rome, that one, yes. You see, Jesus has this ability to turn things upside down for us. In our logic, the Pharisee was doing all the right things. He was the one that was following the rules. He was doing the kind of things that we know we should do. We should fast twice a week, but we don't. We should give our tithe, but we don't always do it. 
there are so many things that we know we should do, but we don't do. So why would Jesus say that the tax collector was the one who was justified? Because we come to an understanding that these two men came before God in a very different way. Even though they both came to pray, even though they both came to present themselves before God, they came with very different attitudes. The Pharisee stood before God boasting about his work as if he had earned the right to God's mercy, as if he had done the things that deserved forgiveness as if somehow all his tithes and all his fasting and all of his following of the law made him worthy to stand before the Almighty God. Meanwhile, the tax collector did not presume to come before God as if anything he could do could earn him forgiveness and grace. He came acknowledging that he was a sinner and that the only way that we are redeemed is by throwing ourselves upon God's mercy and receiving it as a gift, not as something that is earned. So how do we pray before God when we go to him in prayer? Do we have an attitude? Do we go before God like, God, you owe me, you know, I've been in church every Sunday this month except for one, and you know I had to go out of town. Do we come before God and say, you know, I've given you my tithes for about a year, so I'm kind of due for some blessing? Do we come to God with a sense of entitlement that says that I have somehow earned the grace of God? Or do we come humbly, acknowledging that we are just not worthy of God's mercy and that the only way we can stand before God is because Jesus Christ gives us his righteousness to be our own. You've heard the phrase, throw yourself at the mercy of the court. We throw ourselves at the mercy of God every single day when we acknowledge that we need him to help us with today, just as we needed him to help us with yesterday and just like we're going to need him to help us with tomorrow. Now, one of the biggest mistakes we could make after reading this scripture and studying is to say, Lord, I am so glad I am not like that Pharisee. Because then we would commit the same sin that that Pharisee had committed by putting somebody else down in order to feel better about ourselves. You see, there was nothing wrong with what the Pharisee was doing. He was doing good things. It was his attitude about what he was doing that was wrong. The lesson of this parable is more profound than a simple moralistic teaching about prayer. It is a scripture that challenges us to consider who we are trusting with our salvation and who we are trusting with each and every one of our days and who we are trusting to be the righteousness that we need in our lives. If we are trusting our salvations on ourselves, then we are already lost. 
and we are due for a fall because of our own pride. We will fall flat on our face because no matter how many good things we do, we can never make things right between us and God by what we do. It is only by our faith in Jesus Christ that things are restored. And we have to learn that God wants us to trust him in everything, not just in some things. In everything in our lives, God wants us to lean on him. Because the truth is, even though we hate to admit it, we will let ourselves down. And others will let us down too. Even the most reliable friend or family member will disappoint you at one point or another. Because we're human and we make mistakes. The only one that will never fail us is God. When our lives are falling apart The only thing that can sustain us is Jesus. And the only one we can trust to never leave us or stop loving us is God. And I love that about God, that when I am the most unlovable, God still loves me. When I am a mess, God still loves me. When I am completely lost, God still loves me enough to continue to pursue me and try to bring me home. But we have to humble ourselves to the point that we admit that we can't do it alone, that we are sinners, that we are broken, that we need to be made a new creation in Christ, that without him we can do no good thing. And it is at this point of humility that Jesus sends us home justified and right with God. Not because we did some great thing, but because we trusted in him and what he already did on the cross for us. When we call him Lord, and we mean it, we truly surrender everything in our lives to him. We throw ourselves back on God's mercy, and he catches us every single time. Then, and only then, are we right with God and can walk in faith. Now, many of us have said, yeah, we trust you, Lord, and we, we stand there, and we, we lean back. And the minute we feel ourselves falling, We do like Jackson did, and we take a step back to make sure that we brace ourselves in case God doesn't catch us. As if in some way God could ever be late. As if in some way God could ever fail to sustain us. The other temptation in this scripture will be to say, well, we don't need to do anything because works don't matter. And I think reading it this way would be an oversimplification of the scripture and a wrong reading of the text. We have to continue to live our lives in a way that's worthy of our calling, but we do these things not to stand justified before God, but because we are justified in Christ. 
It is because we are already saved that we can stand before God and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Strengthen me, strengthen me, carry me, take me where I need to go. It is hard sometimes to trust and to throw yourself back. Because we always think we're going to hit the floor every single time. But it's comforting to know that even Jesus fell back at the cross, gave his life, and God didn't let him fall. He raised him up on the third day and gave him back to us. We can rest on his mercy and his love and on the fact that whenever we fall short, he makes up the difference. And that's really comforting for us short people because we always feel like we can't reach, right? And have you ever felt like that in your spiritual life? Like there are times you just can't reach. And isn't it great to know that Jesus makes up the difference and helps you reach. So in closing, humble yourselves and know who you trust. Come before him in reverence in your brokenness and simply say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, knowing that he never turns away anyone who comes in humbleness and admits that they need to be redeemed. Today, as we open the altar for prayer, you might have had situations in your life where you, you didn't feel like you could trust and let go and let God. And today is a day when God is inviting you to come forward and say, yes, Lord, I'm going to lean not on my own understanding. I'm going to lean on your grace. I'm going to lean on your goodness. I'm going to lean on your, on your love. And I'm just going to rest in you and let you catch me. The altar is open as we pray this morning and we worship.